Episode 71, and this is Stomp coming to you from the Woodpecker Studio. We're going to mix it up a little bit this week. Um, Mike is on vacay, and I, the, the last I remember, I think he was doing a multi-day Pemi loop, and I think he was posting pictures. And He's crushing it. Yeah, yeah, I think he did. Um, the weather looked awesome. The second day might have been a little overcast, um, but... We do not have Mike this week. We have a very special guest who I'll introduce in a, a few minutes, but uh, you're stuck with the stomp on this one. And um, yeah, we got some fun stuff to cover. And uh, yeah, so episode 71, Mike's MIA. But hey, let's see how this rolls without the uh, Miguel. Very cool, very cool. <laughs> very cool, very cool. So, what is new, mystery guest? <laughs> Nothing. A little bit of hiking, a little bit of floating. Yeah. Yeah. We're fresh off the river, huh? We are. Sunburned. It's totally sunburned. We're thinking like, this is probably one of the last times we'll get on the river for the summer. So it was a little low, but doable. Yeah. Yeah. There were so many options too on the table. I hate this time of the year where it's like, do we hike? Do we float? <laughs> do we go to Whale's Tale? What do we do? Yeah, yeah. We were looking at the um, reservations for Alpine Adventure, and sure enough, the zipline um, tours had like two spots open, but on two different tours, like one spot per tour. So they, that wouldn't have worked out. <laughs> I'm pretty. going alone. I'll see you later. <laughs> Yeah, that's a bummer. That would have been a lot of fun, but I think the river was a good call. Um, that's how def- I got roped into this. I know, yeah. <laughs> we were just sort of floating, and uh, we came up with the idea of um, talking about the 48 in perhaps a way that the podcast hasn't um, to date, and uh, we'll get to that in a few minutes, but um, just a few reminders here. Um, we hit 100K. I can't believe it. Woo! Today's what, the 14th? Is today the 14th? Okay. Yeah, so it's August 14th, and we hit 100K yesterday, last night, at like 10 o'clock at night, and it's hilarious. I mean, we were trying to, Mike and and myself and um, others were trying to calculate when we would hit 100K, and... um, 
you know, we were trying to book the reckless thing uh, for around that time frame. And sure enough, you know, Murphy's Law, it's like, it's totally opposite of what we thought. So it's way early, but that's so that's fine. I mean, we only have what, like two weeks or so before the September 11th um, celebration. Yeah, the celebration at Reckless, which is really shaping up to be a great time. So Sunday, September 11th um, at the Pint House at Reckless, which is just this beautiful building behind the prime um, bar and brewery. And um, we're going to have a, a, a huge crowd from what I can gather. Um, show is there going to be a DJ in the house <laughs> <laughs> Very well could be. I don't know. I got to warm up some, warm up the people with some tasty beats. <laughs> Stop machine. Yeah. So the show will start at five and there may be some tasty beats beforehand. We'll see. <laughs> tasty beats. Okay. Never heard that before. Tasty beats. Yeah. Tasty beats and uh, some good brews and this and that. So um, yeah, five o'clock, September 11th. Most people will be in the region doing the September 11th hike for Flags on the 48. And um, if you guys aren't aware of that, you can go to flagsonthe48.com and register. Registration's open for each of the 48 peaks. And from 12 till 2 o'clock, people fly uh, a flag in remembrance of of the victims of 9-11 and it's been going on what last year was the 20th anniversary wasn't it yeah so this is the 21st year um epic it's a great time it's super cool so it gives you enough time to get over to reckless after and rehydrate with some good brews and some tasty beats and meet mike and stomp (laughs) right and perhaps our mystery guest and everyone stare at mike very intensely because he's very nervous about it (laughs) yeah right he should be fine because he emceed a high school talent show right 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 he's ready to go um just a few more Reminders: We have the Skyline fastest known um, time attempt by Larson, which is coming up on August 27th. And that's Saturday morning. Larson's starting sharp at 6 a.m. If anybody wants to come out and hang, that, that'd be great. And then halfway through the day, we'll c- touch base with him again at the junction of Livermore Road and the Greeley Ponds Trail, where he'll refresh and... Um, and then finish the rest of it. So that's going to be a great time. See if you can make it to that. And um, yeah. He's crushing it, huh? Oh my God, yeah. Yeah, he is. I mean, that whole crew is still going nuts out there doing everything. Um, Steve Mason's been a little quiet on the radar. I, we got to touch base with him, see how he's doing. Um, but everybody's out there doing their thing. And um, yeah, I'm excited about that. So EMS will be out there. Um, Waterville will be out supporting us as well. And again, thank you to EMS for supporting Larson and Travis with gear. Like they, literally, they provided new running shoes for these guys, shirts, hats, stickers, bandanas. Super, super That's cool. Awesome. Yeah, it's amazing. I'm psyched about it. Let's dive into some White Mountains history, shall we? Yeah, I have a teeny little history thing here, if you're interested. Of course. Um, Usually Mike does this stuff, but the other day I was at the Lost River Campground, which is near the Waternomy B-18 bomber crash site. And, uh, you know, that's right up 
in Woodstock, North Woodstock area on Route 118. And they had this really cool thing that was attached on their little, um, like this little blackboard. And if I can find my my glasses so I can actually... They're on your head, honey. Oh. (laughs) There we go. There we go. I can read this to you. So... I, you know, instead of just droning on about this, I'm going to read this brief story. So this would be a, a dramatic reading by Stomp. And uh, hopefully it won't bore you to death, but I, I thought it was fascinating. So um, here is the story. It's about a page long and I'm just going to zip through it. So B-18 bomber on January 15th, 1942, a little over a month after Pearl Harbor, the little Littleton Courier ran this headline. Two killed, five injured in bomber crash on Mount Musalak. Last night, explosions heard in Lincoln, North Woodstock. The article went on to read, Two men were killed in five narrowly missed deaths when a bomber, described as a Douglas B-18, crashed on Mount Musalak between North Woodstock and Warren last night. It was reported that the big plane was loaded with four bombs, three of which exploded to shake the countryside for miles around. Working feverishly all night, a crew of more than 50 volunteer searchers, including experienced woodsmen, rounded up by the Parker Young Company at Lincoln, U.S. Forest Service Rangers, and members of the state police made this morning a dramatic rescue of five of the seven crewmen um, and rushed them to the Lincoln Hospital. The B-18 bomber crash site on Mount Waternomy, a sub-peak on the east side of Mount Musalak, is just one of several plane catastrophes in the White Mountains that I've learned about over the past year. There are three other well-publicized plane crashes that have occurred in the White Mountains since the 1950s. Pretty amazing, right? Wow. So, it goes on. I'll just continue. Um, So, here's the story. Flying a northwesterly course, the wind picked up, the temperature dropped, and ice began forming on the wings. With ice buildup growing and airspeed dropping, the plane became hard to handle, and Lieutenant Ben Venuto dropped to 3,800 feet. By doing so, he then was put on a collision course with Mount Returnomy, shearing off treetops. The bomber smashed into the mountain and pancaked its way through the deep snow. As it plowed through a stand of trees, one wing was ripped off the body of the aircraft, split open, and then grinded to a halt. High-octane fuel dripped on one of the remaining engines, and minutes later, a fire erupted that rapidly worked its way to the bombs still on board. Jeez. That's unbelievable. Miraculously, five of the seven crew members survived the crash. Private Lawrence and Private Phillips were killed either in the crash or by the subsequent explosions and fire. The survivors, who were in bad shape, were on the top of an inaccessible mountain in a blinding snowstorm with a very cold night approaching. Woodstock residents formed rescue teams and headed up the mountain searching for the cause of the explosions, which was still unknown to them when they departed. As they neared the site, three airmen in blood-stained flying gear staggered into view. As they stumbled nearer, it was evident that the survivors were in deep shock. The lead airman, navigator, Lieutenant Craig, appeared to be the least seriously injured. 
He had only facial lacerations and bruises, um, while the co-pilot, Lieutenant Cantor, had similar cuts, but also a broken forearm and ankle. Private Chubb, the mechanic, had an ugly cut over his eye. His front teeth were missing, and his jaw was badly fractured. Some distance away and not moving, Lieutenant Benvenuto lay sprawled in the snow. Having crawled 200 yards from the wreckage, he was lying there with a broken back. 75 feet away, in deep pain and nearly frozen to death, with his left leg wrapped around a tree, was machine gunner Private First Class Picard. Picard had crawled out of the burning plane and dragged himself as far as he could when it exploded. A large piece of the plane hit him in the shoulder blade with enough force to knock him into the tree. Uh, amazing. I'm almost done, but isn't this amazing? What a wild story. I, I mean, I've heard details of this, but never to this degree of detail. Um, so rescue has built roaring fires and sent for toboggans and blankets to carry the wounded crew members down the mountain. Numerous downed trees from the 38 hurricane created impassable toboggan obstacles. So rescuers started cutting trees and swamping out a trail to extricate the injured men. Multiple trips up and down the mountain in the deep snow were necessary before they they got off uh, all the injured off the mountain. As Lieutenant Benvenuto was being covered with blankets and prepared to be tobogganed down the mountain, he warned them about the unexploded 300-pound bombs that had been on board the now-wrecked and on-fire bomber. The next morning, a live bomb was found buried deep in the snow, with no way to move it off the mountain. A bomb expert was brought in to supervise shoveling snow away from the bomb that could have exploded at any moment. Once the bomb was finally exposed, dynamite was packed around it and the charge was set off. It took two attempts, but the bomb finally exploded with a cataclysmic roar. In addition to destroying the bomb, another priority assignment was to find the top secret Norden bomb site that had been a on board the plane and to retrieve any parts of it that had survived the crash and fire. By the way, an intact Norden bomb site is on display at Wolfborough's Wright Museum. Um, of the five airmen who survived the crash, Lieutenant Cantor became a successful real estate developer in Florida. Private Chubb retired as a maintenance foreman at Hanscom Field in Massachusetts. Lieutenant Craig became a dentist in California. <laughs> Private First Class Picard is believed to have moved to California where he became a member of a religious commune. And Lieutenant Benvenuto did not survive the war. After recovering from his back injury, he was returned to active duty and died when his B-24 was shot down over Asia. <gasps> wow. <laughs> That's insane. I mean, can you, can you believe that story? I mean, it was, I, I hate to read stuff on a podcast, but that's unbelievable. Oh man, I've never been there. I know you have um a few times, right? <clears throat> oh yeah. You take me there. Yeah, I mean, just just so people know, it's it's right off of 118, so it's basically Walker Brook Road. You can plug it into your GPS. Mm -hmm. And uh just after you take exit 32, you head towards Woodstock, and instead of going right up towards Lost River, you take a left up towards Mount Musalak Ravine Lodge and then it's like one of the first forest roads on the right so that's the start of it just do your homework and you can find it but yeah wow, man crazy <clears throat> story guys like I'm done with these mountains I'm gonna go work on teeth <laughs> <laughs> oh, the guy that joined the commune is like 
I've had it. I've had enough. Uh, I've had a near experience with death here. And I'm the gonna... other guy. I'm moving to Florida where it's flat. <laughs> I'm done. Oh my wow. god! Isn't that nuts? Great history, though. That's pretty incredible. I definitely want to visit that place. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we should go soon for sure. This is not hiking related, but I don't know if you heard the story, but. It's uh, it's sort of funny. It's just it was a funeral, but it wasn't a typical funeral. And um, yeah, what what do you think about this headline? Son knocks over mom's casket at funeral after chaotic family problem. <laughs> <laughs> it must have been Italian. Have you heard about this? No, I haven't. Well, here's the summary. So a brother and sister get in an argument at mom's massive funeral. Brother beats up sister's boyfriend. Another relative breaks out a stun gun to try and get things under control as everyone begins fighting. Another relative hops in a car and tries to run down the sister. Runs over yet another relative, knocks over mom's casket, (laughs) runs over vases and headstones and breaks open a water main which floods the whole area as the rest of the family begins brawling over the cemetery. Um, Driver then gets brained by another relative with a cane as others hold him down while brother is off brawling with still others. Cemetery owner says it was, quote, a bizarre incident and do not worry at all. Your loved ones interned here are very safe and our staff is here to assist any of the families. So the mom literally (laughs) turned over in her grave. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. Oh, that's terrible. That's terrible. Yeah. So you can count on Slasher to keep you up to date on the latest in our crazy culture. I know our mom died, but I don't like your boyfriend. (laughs) That's crazy. Yeah, that's a good one. So that's all I have culturally. I don't think we've seen any new movies or anything interesting, so... No, we already... Yeah, you covered that last week about the... um, 13 Lives. Yeah, that was great. That was the last one we watched. Yeah, a lot of people are starting to talk about that. It was so good, wasn't it? That was incredible. Yeah. Yeah, epic. I think it'll definitely win or at least get recognized for Oscar material. Just knowing they had a, the small spaces they had to go through with those caves. I would have been, <laughs> knock me out if you're going to send me through that. Like, <laughs> oh man, it's pretty intense. Yeah, absolutely. So if listeners haven't figured it out by now, Mrs. Stomp is here sitting in for Mike, who's on vacation. <laughs> hey. So this next story, I, I just saw this and I just wanted to briefly talk about it because it's just bizarre probably belongs on a different kind of podcast but um oh the executive producer just woke up baby (laughs) she's only been sleeping for 11 hours (laughs) right so listen to this this is from the guardian beachgoer killed after umbrella impales her in the chest in south carolina that is no joke when that umbrella comes loose on the beach Watch out. <laughs> Holy moly. So basically, an umbrella was blown away from its anchoring by the wind and hit Tammy Perot while she was at a Garden City beach. Oh, that's terrible. Isn't that crazy? I've never heard of that happening before. So she just suffered from um, chest trauma. Oh. And um, it, it was the spike end of the umbrella. Oh, man. Isn't that outrageous? Yeah. So that's, that's really sad. Uh, but this is interesting. The federal agency... The U.S. Consumer Product Safety Commission, you might find this interesting, 
estimates that 3,000 people are injured by beach umbrellas every year. I'm not surprised. <laughs> I said, no matter how much you dig a hole and put it in, that shit comes up. <laughs> right? But 3,000. Like, we should ban beach umbrellas because, you know, we can't, you got to save everybody's life. This is this is worth addressing. Absolutely. I'm going to write my senator and see if we can ban beach umbrellas. <laughs> anyway, so that's pretty wacky stuff. Um so yeah, sponsor and coffees. I think we have one donation this week. Um, this is a little earlier than we typically record. This is Sunday night. <laughs> and uh, yeah, Mr. and Mrs. Stomper are a little inspired to get this rolling tonight. So we hope you enjoy it. But uh, we want to thank Shandy for donating. Much appreciated. For sponsors, we want to thank Spinner's Pizza Parlor. Family owned since 1994, specializing in hand-spun, thin-crust Italian pizza (laughs) with their own homemade sauce. (laughs) Visit the region's number one voted pizza and customer service after your hike. Just a few minutes off of Route 93, Dascom Road exit. Stop by and say hi to Dolls and Pops (laughs) and tell them you're a listener and they have stickers and they'll uh, they'll roll out the red carpet for you. That's my mommy, so y'all better go. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. It's good stuff. Yeah. Thank you to EMS. We already gave them some props, but uh, your Northeast go-to for outdoor gear, guidance, and education and more since 1967. Check them out at EMS.com. And of course, a special thanks to At Reckless Brewing up in Bethlehem, where you'll enjoy the best food, craft beer, and fun just 15 minutes from Franconia Notch, many 4K footers, and less than 10 minutes from the Five Corners. And again, they're hosting our 100,000 celebration. So come on up and Give them a uh, give them some of your time and money. Time and money. It's going to be a great time. Oh, hell yeah. It's going to be awesome. All right. So this is where Mike usually does his show opener. Oh. And I'm going to improv it. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right. Wish me luck. This is from the heart. <laughs> no script. This is off the cuff from the heart. <sighs> Welcome to episode 71. Today... We are joined by Mrs. Stomp. 71 and full of fun. (laughs) (laughs) For a long time, Mr. Stomp has been itching to talk about not so much a mountain or a series of mountains, but the the whole 48 experience as, as a whole. Like, what happens when somebody falls in love with the mountains and what they experience from beginning to end like the whole circuit the whole story and that's we have a really great story i think so too i think it's really neat and everybody has an amazing story about their 48 experience and you know uh what we're going to do tonight is just tell everybody what we experienced and uh we hope you enjoy it and i think you'll get some laughs out of it and maybe learn something along the way too so i'm stomp i'm mrs stomp <laughs> let's get started let's get it started <laughs> there we go all right so beer talk oh what you got what you got oh, mrs hey, stomp i've got um a vodka cocktail. Oh, nice. Yeah, it's my nice. classic. I needed some liquid courage to come on here, so it's <laughs> a little bit of vodka and Diet Coke. 
That is true, huh? Yeah. Yeah. How long have I been asking you to do this? Forever. And then I said yes on the river earlier. So we got home and he's like, you ready to go? I was like, what? I know. You're, you're a super good sport. Though, what are you drinking? Uh, something similar. I think I have a cranberry. Um, margarita. I yeah. Cranberry. Made. Yeah. Very cool. Cranberry Very cool. margarita. And um, yeah, it's super tasty. So any recent hikes? Yes. My husband and I, <laughs> um, we hiked up the other night to the Overlook, which is um, as you're heading up Welch, the Welch Sticky Loop. Um, it was the night after the full moon and the Perseid meteor showers actually were going on. So we hiked up there to see in hopes to see that. Yeah, I got. I looked it up really oh, quick. The, wait, well, there was also the Sturgeon Moon, which we missed by a day, right? Right, and then yeah. but we figured the next night it would still be. Yeah. Um, if you go to that overlook right under Welch, the moon rises right over. Um, what's that mountain? Um, Acteon or something that is next to Sandwich well, Mountain. It yeah, Sandwich right Dome up there. and yeah. um, what Acteon Ridge? Yeah, beautiful spot. So yeah. Um, I had looked it up real quick online that day, and I don't know where I read it said the moon was rising at 7.38. So we both get home from work. I'm like, we got to go. We got to go. <laughs> so we haul ass up there, like 45 minutes, get up there. And it's like 7.30, and you know, there's clouds, and like it's still beautiful, stunning. The clouds, the sky, the sun was setting. But no moon. Um, I'm not sure where the moon was. So then I look it up on my phone, and I was like, oh, oops, it's actually... 8.38, not 7.38, my bad. So we, we waited an extra hour and um, we yeah, but didn't... It, it got better and better and better. Like, oh, the, it was just The incredible. clouds cleared yeah. above us and for whatever reason, it, like, it had to be like nine after nine o'clock and you could see... You could see the glow of the moon coming up over in between Black Mountain and Algonquin, like where it generally comes up for yeah, us, right? Just a little too cloudy. Yeah, yeah. We probably would have been there till like ten or eleven <laughs> before it popped out of the clouds. But yeah, tell tell everybody what happened after so, that. It was so cool. We were we're like, all right. We can't see the moon. Let's lay back and look for these meteor showers. And I think you saw a couple. I didn't. I saw see, a couple. I like, didn't see any. So yeah. then, it was still beautiful, you know. So we hiked on down with our headlamps, and then um, we had your truck waiting at the trailhead. So we just climb in the back of your truck, and we're just <laughs> laying there looking up. All of a sudden, we see this insane meteor fly through the sky like a ball of fire for like a solid like four Two, seconds yeah, like it, it was like it was oh, we didn't have to hike we could have just laid in the back of your truck and well, watched now, this. yeah now we know now we know we can do that but what's amazing it's like it's gorgeous the art of meteor shower watching it's like is literally like, like a zen buddhist type of art you have to concentrate and focus as long as you possibly can. And then usually and look see at it a, like, yeah, and like your peripheral, yeah. like shooting across the sky. Yeah, 90% it's so of the time. Peaceful. Yeah, 90% of the time it's off on the side of your vision. But that one that we saw before we left was mind blowing. I could not amazing. believe that. That was super cool. So that was our hike. Um, we've been trying to get out a little more just been like two ships in the night just busy and whatever else yeah but, but we have to make it a point because it's super healthy for us and oh yeah and it's great it's been great yeah <laughs> did we did we even mention the quartz pit last episode um you did I, when we did, uh, went yeah. up smartsbrook our secret little spot that yeah yeah so anyway yeah it, it you know you do what you can sometimes you get busy with life and everything else but um so that was a fun time 
Um, so notable hikes, we have two. We have one with the speed, which is AKA Shandy, uh, who did Frankenstein Cliffs. And then, oh, I hear Near. growling cats in the background. Sorry, everybody. Was that the Arethusa? Um, Arethusa. It's near Arethusa. You know, you know, you come up over Crawford Notch, and you you've got the rail tracks and the big cliffs right there. Yeah, yeah. I've been wanting you to do uh, <laughs> to do that with you. The um, I think you there's a whole loop there, and it takes you down to Arethusa Falls, I believe. Okay, yeah. I Frankenstein think you're right. Cliffs is pretty awesome. Yeah. Well, yeah, you did that once, and yeah, and that yeah. was that was another time where I almost called fishing game because I yeah, thought you, you know were lost. we no service. We took a while. <laughs> it happens. <laughs> yeah, so the first time was with was with Susie we, while you were doing Rocky Branch, and then the second time was that well, hike. with uh, my friend Melissa. Yeah, yeah like, we just God. took our time, you know. Oh man, <laughs> four mile hike took like ten hours. We were just chilling. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. But it's a pretty cool loop. Yeah. Uh, the second one is Full Strength Coffee did um, Tom Field and Willie, and this brings uh, him up to 30 out of 48, so congratulations to both of you. And do you have a preference out of these two notable hikes? Is there a, a winner in your mind, or are they both pretty cool? They're both pretty cool, oh, but Frankenstein I... definitely <laughs> is pretty badass. Where We all get a, a, a trophy in this round, right? Everyone wins. Everybody wins, yeah. <laughs> So that's what we have, donations. And um, like just a reminder, people can donate. They don't have to donate to us, but they can certainly donate to New Hampshire Outdoor Council. Um, you know, donations to us go to the website and uh, the podcast hosting. It does add up over time. And every time we have a guest, it's like 40 bucks a pop. It's, uh, it's crazy. Um, so anything helps, but certainly keep the uh, volunteer teams in mind. Slasher's Hiking Topic of the Week. Topic of the week. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right. So again, we're, we're going to cover our experience with the 48, 4,000 footers. And, um, you know, it could have been the Adirondacks. I don't think it matters what we hiked. I think it was just the, the experience, how we fell into it and how it ended and just everything we learned along the way. And um, I mean, I, I guess I'll start sure. just briefly. I, I've been hiking since I was 13. I was throwing big rocks of quartz in my stepdad's backpack, you know, doing Manchacora and stuff like that. And then, <laughs> um, you know, life got crazy. I, I had kids and everything else and, you know, college and you sort of fall away from it. And um, in 2009, I, I went through a divorce and then I went through a phase where I was just like murder hiking myself, like killing myself with hiking, doing like 30, 40, 50 mile hikes and just like trying to distract myself and um that was like roughly 2009 2010 if i remember correctly and then we met in 2010 in 2010 and that's where hiking i i put hiking away i just put it away in the shelf like it was on the shelf and i i forgot all about it because we fell madly in love Aww. ah and i still madly <laughs> we in met love. at a bar <laughs> do you want to tell them that story <laughs> i was with a bunch of girlfriends and we we're at the peddler's daughter in haverhill shout out to them yeah and uh we all it was first my friend's birthday we all wanted to do a bunch of shots yeah so one of them went to the bar to get the shots and you were a very nice guy to help <laughs> 
carry the shots back. And then we were like, take our picture. Yeah. And you took our picture. Then you sat next to me. And I had a Blackberry at the time. Yeah. So then you slid into my Blackberry BBS <laughs> and <laughs> fell instantly in love. What was my handle? PD Bud. PD Bud. <laughs> Peddler's daughter Bud. <laughs> PD Bud. So funny. But uh, so, okay, so that's 2010. And then fast forward to 2013. We got got married 2013. We eloped at the Mount Washington Hotel. Yeah, that was pretty cool. And we did not see Caroline Stickney, the ghost. We did not see her like... After a few drinks, I thought I had, but I didn't, I guess. (laughs) We got to go in that room, though, remember? There was a... They were cleaning her room, the haunted room. And I remember after a couple drinks, we're just bouncing around. And I remember that room being open and I walked in. Yeah. And I was like, can I look in here? I was, just, like, yeah. I, was, I was just talking to the guys on the crew about that. Like that is, they confirmed it again, that that is the hotel that Stephen King was inspired to make The Shining based off of. I thought it was a different hotel. Me too. But that oh, that's is, awesome. Which is really interesting because the stories about Caroline Stickney, her ghost apparently will sit at the edge of your bed looking away from you. Stop this. Yeah, while you're <laughs> sleeping and then you wake up and you see her sitting looking away from you. Like, I'm upset with that. Yeah, that's pretty creepy. But that was um, that was a good time. I remember we had the um, like a couple's massage and stuff like that. I felt like a Clinton. <laughs> <laughs> that spa that they have there is the <laughs> you sit in a hot tub and you're just staring at the prezies. At the time, I was like, "What's that with mountain? the white robes? <laughs> like you remember the white robes? So fancy! Oh my god, it's crazy! They're like, did you have your wedding here? I was like, "Yeah, we eloped in a random room next to the mountain. Yeah, yeah, we like we snuck into a <laughs> it room. Was snuck in. It was epic. I mean, yeah." It was but great. it was it was super cool, and yep. we had family that whole weekend and stuff like that. But I guess the point is, at that, at, at but by the time we made it to 2013, like everybody on Earth, every couple on Earth, we started having tensions and and troubles in our marriage. Yep, I remember you went to law school, yeah. so that was three and a half years. It was very rough, yeah. and you had graduated law school in 2014, yeah. so we decided to go up to one of our favorite spots in Jackson, uh, Eagle Mountain House, yeah. just to have a night away, celebrate your graduation, and just get away. I think that we were- Yeah, break away from the whole routine. Yeah. We were having some trouble in our marriage. We were- Searching, both searching for something. I feel like, yeah, and that's um, a good way to put it. we had a big fight. <laughs> Let's lay it all out there. <laughs> we had a huge fight that night, and we woke up the next day, and you suggested we go on a hike. And I was like, I, I don't have sneakers. I don't have this. I don't have that. I, I can't. <laughs> I didn't have a pack. I didn't have boots. I, we didn't have anything. No, nope, we, we went, were just there. Yeah, we went to North Conway. We got me some sneakers, yeah. and then. You said we're going to go up to Glen Boulder, and we went up there. You didn't know what that was. I didn't know what the hell <laughs> that was. <laughs> so, for listeners, that is a south southeastern um, a boulder, about a mile, mile and a half up off of Route 16, just south of Pinkham Notch. And you know, for a beginner hike, it's actually a decent option. It gives you killer views, and but it it's tough, right? Oh, yes. <laughs> so let's talk about it. I had never, that's I guess where my story comes in. I had never hiked. Um, I was definitely in a place in my life where 
I was searching for a hobby. I was searching for more. I was depressed. I was drinking a lot. I was didn't really know myself or what I wanted in life. And I know we were having troubles. And that day that you took me up there. Oh, man. I got to that bowl. That was the hardest (laughs) thing I've ever done in my life. I remember standing there when we finally made it. I had one hand on the boulder. My head was down and I'm weeping, crying. And I'm like, I'm crying because I'm happy. I'm crying because I'm sore. I'm I'm like, what the hell did I just do? I was so confused and I had so many emotions running through me. And my legs were jello on the way down. I wanted to die. I wanted to kill you. I hated everything (laughs) about the whole thing. But the the fact that... I woke up the next day and I could not stop thinking about it. Right. Yeah, there you go. And I, th- I don't think you expected that. I think you I were know. like, oh, she's think, never going to want to do no, this. No, I thought it was going to be like, you know, there was a time when I took my younger girls up to Mount Washington and Lucy was the, the littlest. I think she was six at the time. She will never hike again. I mean, she's traumatized by that experience and yeah. it, I ruined it for her but I think she's sort of coming around but I think I, I guess I was wondering did I ruin it for you because I got to tell the listeners you were crawling down that because <laughs> you, I mean we hadn't done any activity like that period I had never done anything like that I've never hiked before oh, I, yeah. I was like my body was like what the hell is this <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I didn't know and I could barely get down I was sore for days yeah and I couldn't stop thinking about it. <laughs> Days passed, and I'm at work, and working at Spinner's Pizza, best family pizza in Andover. Yeah, and I, I was just, <laughs> I, I was just traumatized by the what we just did, and I couldn't stop thinking about it. And then I start researching, uh-huh. and I started like looking up online, like 48, and I was like, I gotta do more of this. Like, what, what is this? Like, I just, yeah. And you were like with the right person because I. I can show you, <laughs> right? Absolutely. So it sort of sparked it in me again. Like, holy moly, that's just what I needed. Like, and I that's was where this all started. Yeah, yeah. Because I was in the desert too. Like, oh my god, I forgot how great hiking is, and how beautiful it is, and just how fulfilling it is. It's so fulfilling and yeah. spiritual, and I just. I can't even explain that feeling on Glen Boulder that day. I just, it just, that was it. I was like, this is it, you know, it's just. And recently I asked people on Instagram, what was the moment that you had, you know, when you fell in love or became addicted to this, this thing, this treasure that we all have here. Yeah. Um, So that's awesome. So. What happened after that? I think pretty much we started hiking like almost every weekend after yep. that, right? My first 4,000 footer was Jackson. Oh, God. Um, the we did are it with fighting. your daughter, and it was shortly after, I think, our Glen Bold trip, like a week or two after. Yeah. And then we just started from there. Like, I just, every weekend that we had, we would go up north um, and hike whatever we could I just I was researching everything in the history behind the 48 and I, I just yeah I never no, experienced you, anything like you it. did your homework yeah like that's something that I was so impressed with you because you would pretty much pick the hike you wanted to do next and I, you and I had decided that yeah let's finish the 48 like I was already sort of halfway into it and honestly up until Glen Boulder I 
had convinced myself that that this is unobtainable for me. I'm too old now. I, I'm too busy. I'm never going to get these mountains done. So I had convinced myself that I was never going to finish it. And then when that happened, it just changed everything. So funny thinking about like early gear. Like I didn't have anything. I think I got like my boots at Target, like these black hiking boots, I thought. And I would borrow, oh, cheap, I, cheap I had stuff. like a high school backpack and like I was wearing your father-in-law's jacket. So like the first pictures of our like several like dozen hikes, I'm just like in this like cotton sweatshirts and like Walmart Target boots or whatever. Well, that's the other part of it too, because we were both... Like I had the basics down pat. I wasn't doing search and rescue at the time. You know, the, going back to 2009, 2010, I was making big mistakes as a hiker. I was going out on like Zealand traverses without headlamps and just doing stupid stuff because I just didn't know. Yeah. Like I was always hiking all my life, but I just didn't know the, the minutiae about how to be safe out there. So you and I started figuring that out really fast. And Glen Boulder was summerish, sort of summer fallish, if I remember correctly. Yep. The first time we did a hike, a wintry hike, was Tom Field and Willie. Right. And I remember, like I said, we were not really prepared. No. I remember it was like six in the morning and we weren't sure if we were going to go. And I remember sitting in the bathroom crying. It was sleep. Because I was like, I'm scared. You're like, what are you scared of? And I'm like, of the snow and hiking, but I want to go. <laughs> that's why I'm crying. Like so we ended up going, and that's that. when we met Susie. I remember that now. Yeah, yeah, Susie Marks. Yeah, she talked about that just recently. How she met us up there, and and then she continued on, and we were nervous for, about her because <laughs> like it's getting dark. Yeah. <laughs> like she was a newbie too. Like, I don't have a headlamp. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. So that was pretty interesting. Yeah. Um, you know, we posted uh, a video a couple days ago that everybody may have seen by now but it's our it was a birthday gift that i put together of all of the photographs from our 48 adventure and it goes in progression it was really neat um so it starts every hike straight through in order to like a a coldplay song which is cool but if people saw that you can see sort of our cheese ball gear and our unpreparedness our progression progression. yeah it's super cool that Coldplay song really means a lot to me I remember the first time I hiked Mount Washington and the mornings we were getting up really early and driving to New Hampshire I remember that Coldplay album came out and we would play that album on the way up north so that up and up song by Coldplay I remember that was the first song on the way up to hike Washington and then when we finish Washington we play that in the car and I just that song it just floods me with those memories of that day it's just the best song for sure it's really awesome so let's talk about that so we started you know Hale was and Tom Field Willie was like sleet winter we really didn't know what the hell we were doing and and by the way I had never done winter hiking (laughs) <laughs> up until you and I started hiking together. So it was a new learning curve for both of us. So I think we had tried to do Mount Washington once. We're driving down the cog road and it just looked terrible. And we bailed out. It wasn't we, ready. And we did Mount Jackson or something Eisenhower, else. Eisenhower, I believe. On my, it was like my birth, my 30th birthday. Yeah. And uh, Okay. And then, and then the second time we tried Mount Washington, it was like the big enchilada and we had the spikes, we had the winter gear, but it was not a great day. You gotta, you gotta talk about that. It ended up being like the best day of my life, but (laughs) it was not, we got to the Lake of the Clouds 
I was freezing. Which was closed. I was, yeah, it was closed. We, so we couldn't even dungeon. go inside. Um, I was freezing. You couldn't even see Mount Monroe. Exactly. From right there. there. Um, you put hand warmers. You gave me toe warmers. I, you just said, do you want to keep going? I said, okay, maybe a little bit. And then I saw that sign. There was a sign right after you leave the Lake of the Clouds. Yeah. And it says Mount Washington. I forget how much further it is. I think it's less than a mile from there or something. Something happened inside of me when I saw that sign and I got this like summit fever and I just was like, boom, we're going. And (laughs) I remember we got to the sign and I just hugged the sign and bawled my eyes out. It was just, it was so incredible. I've never been prouder of myself. I've never felt more accomplished. It was just, and it's amazing going up there in the winter when no one else is up there and you don't have to wait in line at the sign (laughs) to get your picture. Like that was such an incredible day. That really was. Well, we talk, you know, Mike and I talk about the group dynamics and like the responsibility of somebody that sort of knows what they're doing. And that was a really stressful day for me because I think we got to the point at the hut where we were both inexperienced. Probably should have turned around. No, but, but we couldn't. I did, I did not feel safe going, going back, back yeah. down because Amanusik was glare ice. We didn't and even have... Um, the, well, we had we, the micro spikes, but not those deep hill sounds. Yeah. And that's why I think we were like... It looks sketchy, and I don't. I will think say you played it off so well. Like when I hear you talk about these hikes, and you're like, "Oh shit, I was so scared that day," or like I thought we were gonna whatever, and I was like, "Oh my god, really?" Like you oh. held it so well. You were always, I always trusted you and your judgment and what you thought was best for us. Well, that and- was a scary one. I mean, if people watch that video, you can see me looking white as a ghost, terrified <laughs> for like ninety percent of that video. <laughs> Yeah, that was a tough day for me because it was a hard call. Like, I do not want to go back down that glare ice because we'll get injured. Or do we want to walk into a whiteout? And it was Remember like a we got really to the tough summit call. And for about a minute, everything cleared. Oh, yeah. That was perfect. Yeah, and then back down Jewel. So that was sort of the beginning of the winter. And then from there, we, we started doing like night hikes with our crew of, you know, like Susie and Alvaro and all these other folks. Um, so we started getting a little more adventurous. Um, Boncliff comes to mind. I remember like, oh man, Boncliff. What a spiritual friggin' experience. I remember you, um, before we got to the cliff, you stopped and you let me go by myself so you can take, you know, that picture everybody takes (laughs) when you're on the cliff. And I cried the whole like this is a theme. I just get like hiking is so emotional for me and so spiritual and I just feel so fulfilled and emotional when I do it and I remember just crying all the way to the cliff like just being like and like this quote comes to mind when I think about Bond Cliff and it's like there are two most important days of your life the day you were born and the day you find out why and when I (laughs) stood on that cliff I was like this is why you know like this is it for me this is just why I'm here this is gives me so much purpose and joy and happiness and yeah this is like my church like it's yeah. just it's incredible so absolutely yeah Boncliff really did that for me you know mm-hmm. that was like the it moment for me of wow mm-hmm. this is just the best thing I've ever experienced so do you, do you have like 
Um, any memories as to like the hardest? What was like the hardest of the forty-eight for you? Do you know? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Pass the Conway and um comes oh. to mind immediately. But we did that at night. We did it like it was, we started at midnight, I think. Was, and yeah, I've was, never experienced ice before like oh, that. Yeah. And um, that's how you got your trail name. Yeah, Ice Queen is my trail name <laughs> because I'm actually not the Ice Queen. It's like the complete opposite. <laughs> but that was actually terrifying. If people have done Pass the Conway, that summit cone is a uh, an ice a vertical ice skating rink. It's awful, awful. And awful. coming down again, we did not have hill sounds. I think it was just micro spikes. Yeah, I think. Much. I, I did, yeah, that was very, very mentally challenging for me. Owl's head in the winter. That was a very, very long day. Yeah. Um, what oh, about boy. You? oh, what boy. sticks out for you? Well, well, I was going to say before I get to that, that you started breaking off and doing hikes with Susie for different and other people for hikes that I had already done because I wanted you to like catch up so that we could finish together. So yeah. you and I were already planning, like, let's finish this together. How are we going to do it like as quickly as possible? But um, I think the hardest one for me or the most psychologically taxing for me was Wildcats. I was just going to say, let's talk about the Wildcats. <laughs> and this, this involves, <laughs> this involves our, our missing in action co-host Mike too, because it's a funny story. So let's, let's talk about it. Oh man. Yeah. We went up a, I think from Pinkham. It, that's Glen Ellis Falls right across the street from where we started this whole adventure yep. right across the street from uh, Glen Boulder. So basically we, we were climbing up and we're, we're getting fit too. Like we were sort of starting we to crush it at it. that. Yeah. We were crushing it at that point. We were, we were making good time and good mileage. And, um, we got up to the top of a, and we're cruising along the ridge of the Wildcats. This is the next summer. Um, if I remember correctly. Yep. So we made it through the winter doing some random winter hikes and it's the next summer. Um, and everything's going fantastic and we're taking our time and I get a text from Mike at about say I don't know 10 30 11 in the morning or something like that and we're maybe halfway from the summit of Wildcat A to the top of the ski lifts where the ski lifts drop out and Mike's text I'm ahead of you by like 50 feet or so and we're just you know making our way along the ridge and Mike's text says big storm coming get you know take shelter that type of thing and in my mind I'm like holy shit and I look to my left and through the trees I'm seeing like the clouds of Mordor like Lord of the Rings Mordor coming our way over up and over Mount Washington. I want to say Mike was on maybe North Tri-Pyramid or somewhere in that in the sandwich range, but he was getting hit by it when he sent me that text. And he's like, dude, you got to get ready for this. So I all I remember is I was like, what's going on? And I'm looking, I'm like, oh, those clouds don't look nice. And then I look over and you're grabbing a boards and like all you know, I'm like what is he doing what's happening yeah but even before that you, you said that you read my body language you knew something was up but you knew I was being coy about mm-hmm. it it's the same situation like with Mount Washington I yep. was just I was trying to be quiet about it but I, I just didn't want to freak you out <laughs> you know but me I so was well. panicking <laughs> inside I'm like oh my god we are in so much trouble because like this giant thunderstorm is coming so you and I make it to the top of Wildcat where the ski lift drops off in yeah. the ski hut and uh, you you want to tell them from we, your angle because it's funny. I don't know. 
I just, they're like, we need to take shelter. And I'm looking around and it I'm was like, none. where? <laughs> there was where no would shelter. you like to go? <laughs> yeah, like we could have maybe, you know, cowered under the, the, the little eight foot the, diameter ski. Well, you crawled lift. under there to get anything you could. Remember, oh, the you ski were patrol them. hut. Yeah. Yeah, but that was like a little crawl space that would have been a nightmare. Yeah. There was, so, was, where did we end up? The door to... Well, there was the last resort. Like, <laughs> I'm dragging all these plywood you know, boards over to the ski patrol place to try to build a shelter. Like we're going to die. And we're, we're looking behind us, and literally, you see Mount Washington and just a black, like, tornado black cloud coming our way. And we probably had, what, 15 minutes? It was mm-hmm. coming fast. The last thing we tried was this teeny little tin hut. It had to be like... Yeah, what was it for? What's it used for? Well, inside there was um, some of the the snowmaking water. And oh, it was like right, valves right. and pipes for snowmaking. So The door was open. The door was open. <laughs> crawled on in. It was unlocked. I couldn't believe it. So we actually were like, this is it. Let's go. Let's, oh, let's, we popped let's go. open a twisted tea and oh. we that and that thing, and the rain was intense. Oh my god, it was it was hail. I mean, we were lucky because we were in that thing, and I used a ski a hiking pole, which I was using at the time, to, to jar the door shut so that the door would not fly open. <laughs> and the 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 noise of the hail hitting a tin that was like a roof. solid twenty minutes, right? That I've, was oh yeah, we yeah we yeah. would have been in trouble. So then. It cleared. It cleared, and uh, we, we survived, <laughs> and we continued on. And this is sort of the neat thing about hiking. Everybody experiences these really neat moments, and um, for us, that day was really special because to think about how long it takes to hike, you know, any hike in general, but to go from like Wildcat A all the way over to Carter Hut, all the all the nuances and every step you take, like it's it's seconds and, and minutes and this and that. We get to that overlook just before you drop down into Carter Notch, that overlook that you can actually see Carter Dome and Carter Hut. We get to that moment and there's this massive double rainbow. Oh. Like, I mean, come on. It are you kidding amazing. me? Amazing. Yeah. It's like really special memories. So... I don't know. What was that for us? What was that like? Maybe that was towards the end. I that think. was like the Wildcats. I only had um, but like two left after that. Yeah, we had only two left. I think. Okay. Oh, you know, I wanted to say I want to talk about um, food while you're hiking. Yeah, it just tastes so much better. <clears throat> um, we did the Kinsmans, and it was in the winter in the snow. I was cold, probably grumpy because I was getting hungry. <laughs> and then we're in the call between north and south. And I remember we broke open like cheese, pepperoni, crackers, and it was the best cherry tomatoes <laughs> I've ever had in my life. They were so juicy and amazing. <laughs> they just brought me back to life. It's just yeah. amazing how everything tastes so much better when you're hiking. And it's like Yeah, and that's where I got my my Costco trail name because I was packing all those gigantic. Oh, you meals. come out with some great shit and you're fun. like Hey, would you but like then some there's cherry the whole, tomatoes? This is a nice side story because at Glen Boulder, you have pictures in that video of eating Cheez-Its, right? Yeah. So that's... Cheez-Its became my Cheez-Its thing. Cheez-Its became your thing. And if you didn't get them, like, at a particular <laughs> time 
or what are you at, trying to say? Or at a summit, you would become like. Are you referring to my cheese at meltdown? <laughs> cheese at meltdown. Yeah, you become Galadriel, like like the the evil Galadriel. Oh my God, let's talk about that because that's funny. Because we did do we Cannon. did we did Cannon. Yeah, we went up Kinsman Ridge Trail from the the tram side, and we that made it awesome. up to the top. And there was like ten million people up there, mm, and I for whatever that. stupid reason, we didn't sit down and eat. And we went down the backside of Cannon towards Cannonballs, like towards Was Lonesome it High Lake. Cannon, or what's that trail that? Um, is it High Cannon? That's Kinsman Ridge Trail. That's Kin- going no back down the other side. The backside is Kinsman Ridge, and it continues on over the Cannonballs, like up over the Kinsmans and this and that. But oh, High okay. Cannon comes up. That's where Mike finished. He went up the High Cannon with the ladders and uh, to the summit. But you and I went down that sketchy backside. Mm-hmm. And then down towards Lonesome Lake Hut. And by that point, <laughs> we made a boo-boo and we had a like walk. And you walk. didn't feed me. I know, exactly. We <laughs> and never I stopped. got grumpy. <laughs> yeah. And you were throwing shit at me by I the time we so got to Echo is. Lake. <laughs> oh, it's like Echo Lake we had to walk around. Yeah. And yeah, we didn't Pemi stop trail. to eat lunch. And I got a little hypoglycemic. And, and I didn't good. get my Cheez-Its. And I was like, I hate this hike. And I hate hiking. And I hate you. Oh, my God. <laughs> I'm never yeah. doing this again. <laughs> yeah. So make sure you feed yourself. And, and your partner. And your partner. <laughs> Lesson learned there. So, um, it's good so stuff. our finish, our four thousand footer finish. Yeah, we we needed uh, Cabot and Carrigan. Yep, and we decided to do both in the same day. Why did we do that? Just because we wanted to just crazy. Because it, we just wanted to be like have. A, I think like we just an wanted epic an epic finish. finish, and we wanted. We're going to go do Cabot, and then we were going to go over, hike Carrigan, and sleep on top. Yeah. On the fire tower, which is not That allowed. was the plan. <laughs> so, let's talk about that. So, we made it up to... The Cabots are awesome. It's like, you know, Unknown Pond is one of our favorite places, and that's north of Cabot. One time, we camped at Unknown Pond, and we decided to bring a big blow-up float, <laughs> and we decided to float Unknown Pond, so yeah. those poor people that ever... You know that picture everyone takes at Unknown Pond, which... What's in the background? That, uh, that horn, might be the bulge of the, or the horn. The horn or something. Other, yeah. that, the picture everyone takes when they go to Unknown Pond. Oh, it's iconic. Well, if you ever were there that day, you have a picture of us on a damn float in the middle of the pond ruining <laughs> Your photo, so sorry about that. Big but. yellow, oh, yeah, that thing big was yellow float. Or like, we're gonna float this pond, it's <laughs> ruined so great. everyone's photo that day, yeah, crazy stuff. So, yeah, so, uh, we yeah, we did Cabot and then we came down. I think we hit a store to get like, um, you know, supplies, drinks, in, provisions, in whatever, and then we headed over to Carrigan and then. Yeah. In yeah. the same day. So we, we finished day. Cabot maybe midday and just like, let's let's do it. Let's just crank it out. I think we made it to the top of, you know, the, the spine of Signal Ridge by sunset. Yeah, the we sun were like, was pretty getting dark, but yeah. we made it. Yeah, we missed sunset on the tower, but we were so damn close. But hey, whatever. And, um, you know, for that night, we it was still... It was like fall. It was fallish. It was cold, for sure. But it was, um, you know, decent conditions. You were you, really cute. Um, you had a one of those cards they sell locally, and I it was a little. At, I got it at, at Meve Myths. Oh, my I got hero. I got that at uh, the so Mountain Wanderer. He 
gave me a card <laughs> when we were inside the tent. It was the Mount Caragain card. Of course, I cried because that's what I do. So it was oh, really sweet. Was it was cool. so sweet. Yeah. You're a sweetie, Stomp. Aw. Well, we broke all the rules too, but it's like, it, you know, there was there are a couple tent sites up there that people use, but we just yeah. plopped my dome up on top of the thing. And there was another couple there that was in a hammock, and I can't believe they, they slept in a hammock. That looked really uncomfortable. Yeah. So yeah, we we finished the forty eight, and congratulations to you because you crushed it. You you pulled it off in under two years, and I think that's why we wanted to do those last two mountains together because we were in a time crunch to get them in under two years. Like that was it. Yeah, I couldn't have done it without you. It really helps <laughs> when you have a partner. It's just oh yeah, you know yeah, absolutely. It was super cool, so much fun, and then we um, went to the AMC. Appalachian Mountain Club Awards dinner. Oh, that was awesome. We submitted our photos, and sure enough, they showed the picture of you and I at that Carter Notch overlook with the rainbow. The last wildcat, yeah, with the rainbow. That and was definitely a photo that had to be in there. How cool is that? <laughs> wow. and, and not only that, but I mean, we joke about Meve Myth, you know, the... the Gan- I don't think Mike knows who that is no, still. He Mike, if you're he listening doesn't. to this, it's Steve Smith. <laughs> yeah, you will give it away. Okay, it's Steve Smith. Okay, all right. Sorry, Mike. So we love Steve Smith, and there was two people giving away the awards, Steve and some other, I forget who the other guy was. Yeah. And I just kept thinking like, oh, come on, Steve. I want us to get Steve. And then yeah, he called our names, and yeah. we went down, and you were like, can we take a selfie, Steve? And we have we a, got selfie a selfie with Steve Smith with our award. Oh, it was awesome. Oh, yeah. <laughs> totally. So cool. But I have a confession. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, what is it? If I tell you they might strip me away of my award, <laughs> I found out in the last few years that I actually did not complete all of the 4,000 footers. <laughs> okay. Continue. I don't think I went to the real summit of Cabot. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think anybody has, to be honest with you. That picture of that day when we did the Cabot and then finishing Carrigane. Yeah. Um, the furthest we went was that photo that you took of me with a view. Um, apparently, the summit is another... 100 yards or so. <laughs> yeah, I never went there. Yeah. Uh, that's so funny. They're going to strip me from my title. Well, neither did I. <laughs> So I actually bagged it well after the fact. I'm sorry, I, Steve Smith. <laughs> I know, right? Yeah. So I need uh, to go back at some point and finish that. Yeah, well. Don't you, tell anybody, though. You get an honorary uh, slasher uh, award for finishing it. If there's such 47 a thing. and a half. Yeah. <laughs> and then after the award dinner... We just couldn't get quite enough of the mountains and things seemed to work out for us that we saw like a a little doorway open that we could possibly get up here to the whites to get closer to the mountains. Do you remember that time? I mean, what's your take on that whole thing? Because I have a whole experience as well. Terrified. (laughs) Oh, man. I remember just coming up here every weekend, like we talked about hiking and stuff. And then I remember a conversation started about, could we live up here? Like, why are we, we never want to go home when we come up here. Yeah. We dread driving back to Mass on Sundays. We with drive up at 4 a.m. every every weekend. Yep. yep. And, um, yeah, we just sort of started looking up here. Remember we first started looking in Littleton? 
Yeah, Littleton. <laughs> like the Littleton area. Yeah, we <laughs> like, looked everywhere. There wasn't much, especially with cats. I mean, there was nothing for people with cats or pets. Right. And we know you're crazy about cats, though. That was a must. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, but I was absolutely terrified. I didn't have a job coming up here. Yeah. I remember we came up here in one car. Um, uh-huh. I, yeah, my mom and my stepdad, my nephew moved us up here and your parents helped. And uh, a big I remember decision. I got a job at the local bar yeah. called Woodpeckers. Yep. Yeah. The legendary Woodpeckers. <laughs> and um yeah, so I I it was just like coming up here and starting a whole new life. I was terrified. And <laughs> it was tough for the first six months adjusting yeah. and dealing with that whole thing of finding a job and just you know, everything. Um and here we are six years later sitting here. Yeah. And I wouldn't trade this for anything. We mm-hmm. still say to this day all the time, um, we really live here. No kidding. <laughs> like, oh yeah. It, it, like driving to work. I just, I still look at the mountains just, like, what the hell? Yeah. This is amazing. This is just amazing. But the foundation behind the decision was the unaffordability of housing, um, the overcrowding of mass. Um, there were so many factors, you know, the, the girls were getting older and they were just becoming young, young ladies that were living their own lives. So we, we just said, you know what, now's the time. And I think that beyond our personal journeys of hiking, um, it has really helped our marriage and brought us together. Um, our friendship, uh, some of our best talks are coming down from mountains. <laughs> yeah. It's like the best time ever. Just hiking oh, yeah. down a mountain. We're just shooting the shit. We're super, we're like super, our dopamine is like, <laughs> woo. We're like, no, we're like super happy and just uh, feeling accomplished and fulfilled. And yeah. we have some of our best talks coming down mountains. I really treasure our um, just banter coming down when we're hiking and stuff. I think that it's really helped our marriage and brought us closer together but not only that like i think what we we were missing down south was uh community Mm -hmm. like the hiking community and just community in general up here is is different it's just something to be experienced but some of the uh our hiking friends are amazing yeah the hiking friends are you know they're a different kind of relationship and um it's a bond that is different from family. It's a, it's different than a family bond and it seems to be as potent and long lasting and durable the as con- a, as a family bond. 100%. The connection with our hiking family I, is just something it's the strongest connection you can have with another person that isn't family. Yep. That's how it that's how it is. Definitely. Yeah. We love our hiking fam. For sure. It's like we've known them forever. And oh yeah, we met them online or oh, it's like on the, top of a mountain, or well, it's an unconditional know? like um, default commonality that we all share. We we share this beautiful thing together. It's just awesome. It's neat. I love it. <laughs> I love you guys. I love it. <laughs> Getting all mushy. I love you. <laughs> so I don't know. I hope this. Um, covered um some good ground and and again like everybody has their own experience with these mountains and um their own stories um you know and we are we haven't hiked uh 
four thousand footer in a bit. We're more into the um, <laughs> more remote hikes now, where people are not there. <laughs> yeah, like, I hike to get away from people. So all the four thousand footers at the moment, I'm like, ah, too many people. Yeah. So yeah, we've just totally. been like laying low and local. It's just like. All For the sure. amazing hikes in our backyard. We've been exploring like Waterville Valley and the Scour. I love that place. Welch Dickey, we could do every freaking day. Oh my like God. absolutely. More remote stuff where there's fewer fewer people. Yeah. For sure. So, so that's our story. Hope you enjoyed it. Uh any <laughs> other last minute things here? Or uh, that's about it, huh? That's it. If you guys yeah. want me to replace Mike, just write on in and let me know. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I love you, Mike. Maybe we can start our own like stomp stomp cast. It's the stomps, the week the weekly stomp cast. Oh boy! I don't know what ready would we for talk that. about though? Like Lady Gaga, cats, cats, Lady Gaga. Uh, what else? DJ music. Yeah, that'd be really interesting. Oh man, this has been fun though. Okay, well, let's just cover a couple um, search and rescue stories and then we will wrap it up. So the first one here is a Canadian hiker is facing charges for shooting a bear. Uh, This is very interesting because he was attacked by a bear and this is in Canada. It's a Canadian hiker. Uh, he faces several charges after shooting a black bear with a 20-gauge shotgun. What is he um, charged with? Uh, let's see. Saturday, August 6th, two hikers came face-to-face with a black bear in Jasper National Park in eastern B- B.C., British Columbia. The bear was only 30 meters away from the hikers when they encountered it on the popular Overlander Trail. One of the hikers fired off their 20-gauge shotgun to try to haze the bear away, but the Bruin, that's a that's another name for a bear, Bruin, yeah, the Bruins, didn't retreat. The hiker fired again, this time hitting the bear, which rolled down a creek bank, killed the bear. That's, that's actually really interesting. So, the bear was coming their way. So the hikers are claiming self-defense. Um, let's see. The bear's condition is unknown, though blood was detected at the scene of the encounter. Does the bear have a lawyer? <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, it's a good possibility. Um, so they're looking for the bear. It's an injured bear and they can become very aggressive and hikers need to be very cautious if they come in contact with uh, an injured animal. So the park is closed now until this is figured out. Very interesting. What's charged with though? Oh, let's see. Uh, An official told CBC that a hiker using a loaded firearm in self-defense in the national park was unprecedented. So the hikers charged with several counts, quote unquote, under the Canada National Parks Act. It's not immediately clear what those charges are (laughs) and what kind of punishment the hiker may face. Doesn't he have the right Uh, to bear arms? Oh, listen to 
Oh, shit. Oh, by the way, <laughs> listeners have to know that people think I came up with a lot of these tick jokes, but this is the comic genius. I am Stomp's writer. Yeah, she's she's the Sorry, writer everybody. that sets me up with a lot of these jokes, which may not be a good thing because there's like a love-hate relationship with these tick jokes, but no, you do. You, you She's come up with the best jokes ever. I uh, love dad jokes. And you've been gracious enough to let me just take credit yeah, for it welcome. along the way. But here, here's how this one ends. Park Parks Canada typically recommends that people traveling in bear country carry bear spray and know how to use it. And that means not like spraying it in your pants like I do and rubbing, rubbing it on it your face. Rubbing it in all your eyes and stuff. Yeah. So that's, that's yeah, interesting story. So here's, here's the second one. Um... Tennessee hiker rescued from rising flood water in Putnam County, Tennessee. A hiker was rescued from rising flood water in Putnam County Wednesday afternoon. And this is Thursday, just last Thursday. Putnam County Rescue Squad responded to the window... Window Cliffs Natural Area to help the hiker. Members of the Putnam County Tactical Rope Rescue and Swiftwater team, assisted by members of Putnam County Fire Department, uh, worked together to save this stranded guy that just got stuck in high water. Mm. And you look at these pictures and it's pretty friggin' scary. It's awful. Yeah, you see the rescuers um, trying to set up ropes to get across what we would say, like up here by the Pemi, when the Pemi is brown, you will drown. This is this that is, looks pretty brown. This is high <laughs> water, pictures. fast moving water. Um, wow. He was tired and wet, but was otherwise uninjured. He, he just couldn't get across this this river. Oh wow! Yeah, so it's uh, let's see. You still yeah. want a kayak? Oh my god, yeah, <laughs> kayak. Yeah, I love the kayak. Yeah, kayaking looks cool, but not in that crazy. No, we will no not way. be going out in that. Th- that. <laughs> no, I, I hats off to people that can actually navigate that kind of water. I mean, that's that's insane. Uh, let's see the next one here. This is sort of interesting. It's not a, a search or a rescue, but this one individual took it upon themselves to walk 200 miles of Hawaiian trails within six weeks. So it's basically a uh, like a navigator or uh, I forget the Ooh, term. Look at that picture. Yeah, it's really neat. So this person mapped all of the trails in Hawaii. Uh, over the last six weeks or so. Covering Let's go! To, yeah, Larson, there you go, buddy. There's your next challenge, 200 Hawaii. miles in six weeks. Wow. Fastest known time, right? So it was a daunting task because I had so little time to do it. So this trail runner and Are there map, mountains in Hawaii? Like what oh, is hell the yeah. terrain? And- See, I'm not sure. Let, let, me, let me read a little more because I'm not sure if it, this was like just the main island of Hawaii or oh, okay. all the islands, okay. but... Um, He's a trail runner, map maker. He covered all the trails in six weeks, collecting data for the state's Na'alahili Universal Trail Access Project, which is a new project, I guess. Um, The trails, let's see. Yeah, he covered all the... So it's basically like... Would it be like redlining? He redlined... 21 trails, it says. Wow. Yeah. With a GPS strapped to his shoulder, he pushed and pulled... An aluminum buggy that was made of for golf bags. For golf bags. <laughs> for... He retrofitted it to carry a GoPro camera 
and measuring equipment. So this is pretty epic. So there you go. Hawaii is like up to speed now with like the whole redlining GPS thing. That's Maybe really we should neat. should go there next. <laughs> I have no desire to travel like to Hawaii. We're or in the best place ever. I, you know, that's part of it. You know, for sure. That's, that's a big part of it. But yeah, anybody's in Hawaii, go for it. Yeah, <laughs> uh, let's see. Oh, this is really interesting. This is in Oregon and well, the California Oregon border. There were recent fires and apparently there were over 60 Pacific Crest Trail hikers that were rescued from the fires that are going on over oh, there. Wow. So, you know, we've got this guy like Cheswick and um Um, a couple of other hikers. I apologize for not recalling their names at the moment, but Pawsey, at least 60 PCT hikers were rescued near the border of California and Oregon over the weekend after the fast-growing McKinney fire left them mired in smoke. Unbelievable. So uh, let's see. The rescue team arrived and evacuated the hikers but visibility was as low as 20 feet. Um, Governor Newsom from California, I suppose, declared a state of emergency for the county. Some 110 miles of the PCT are closed. So this this story is dated August 2nd, so this may be a little behind the times. Um, but it, it mentions some interesting things, like fires can travel upwards of 12 miles an hour. That's amazing because we're hiking at what, like two, maybe two and a half, one if we're going up steep stuff. Oh, it always says, it also says it was super dry and the weekend was packed of dry lightning strikes, which started numerous new fires in the area. Wow. Dry lightning. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah. That's scary. Uh, So anyway, that's what's going on on the PCT. Um, Now, locally, we just had a couple incidents right here in the notch and this is from the fishing game website and um this is dated august 12th yeah this is really interesting because i was in lincoln at the time and i saw the blackhawk flying over the kank west through lincoln towards um the kinsman's essentially and um i did hear about this one as well but apparently on August 12th, before 8.30 a.m., rescuers responded to a 911 call of an injured hiker on the Falling Waters Trail in the area of Cloudland Falls. Um, we've seen it together. Oh, it's it, just like one and a half miles up. Yeah, it's right? a, it's an 80-foot 80, 80 fall. It, it's a, a massive waterfall, so it's oh, huge. Wow. 24-year-old. Yep, 24-year-old male had suffered a 50-foot sliding fall from the top of the falls to the rocks at the base of the falls. And during the fall, the hiker suffered significant leg injury that would prevent him from hiking out without assistance. Shortly after the fall, Good Samaritan hikers with medical training happened upon the scene and provided care upon the arrival of rescuers. Conservation officers and volunteers from Pemi Valley Search and Rescue Team arrived on scene by 9.45 a.m. That's early. Very early. I'm wondering. I, I, they must have been going up trail, I'm guessing. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Yeah, that would, would make sense, I guess. And the carryout to the trailhead commenced. At 11.05, the rescue party arrived at the trailhead and uh, Linwood Ambulance 
took the injured hiker to Littleton Regional Hospital. Um, at 1.35 p.m., another report of an injured hiker was reported through 911 uh, to New Hampshire Fishing Game. A 24-year-old female had suffered a lower leg injury in a fall while at Kinsman Pond Shelter in Lincoln, uh, which is basically just above the uh, Lonesome Lake Shelter. And <laughs> I know you're laughing because you have a, a story about that place. <laughs> I had an emergency shelter. poop there one time. <laughs> okay. Anyways, good. Well said, well said. <laughs> but it was in That's winter. That's my story. <laughs> That's, we'll leave it I at buried that. it, don't worry. <laughs> I think we'll bury that story too. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god okay so uh kinsman pond shelter is a remote shelter approximately 3.6 miles from the nearest trailhead over rugged trails a call was placed to the new hampshire army national guard and uh essentially long story short they were able to extract oh, wow. this individual um let's see i think it was they they were about four thousand feet that that shelter's way up there. It really is, yeah. I think wow. I think it's only like another like two hundred feet or so up to that summit. Yep. Uh let's see. So by three twenty a medic had been lowered to assess the situation. At four PM the medic, uh injured hiker and hiking companion were hoisted into the Black Hawk and shortly thereafter arrived at Cannon Mountain Ski Area. And then from there, they were trans, you know, transferred into a local uh, mm-hmm. ambulance. So that's a pretty interesting story. Great, wow. great pictures, like really interesting pictures. Um, so thank you, Air National Guard. Thank you, Pemby Valley Search and Rescue. Yeah, All the volunteer teams. I mean, they're just killing it this summer. It's been a busy summer. I think we're up yeah. to like, just locally, in the notch, I think we're up to what, like twenty-two missions or so. Ooh, yeah. And the busiest season is yet to come. So the leaf peepers—that's mm-hmm. when it gets crazy. Flip so fall on those leaves. Yeah, but it's interesting to see um, falling waters back on the radar again because we haven't been. We used to be up there all the time, and it dropped off the radar. Like it's back again. <laughs> Lucky you guys. <laughs> <laughs> it's back again. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, this has been fun. I um, I'm glad we gave Mike a rest this week because he works pretty hard on the podcast. And um, his daughter had to do a lot of laundry. So yeah, yeah, the was, laundry like yeah. never ends. So 19's yeah. like shackled to the laundry <laughs> machine, and uh, he's mansplaining how the laundry machine works. And you know, in the in the the Mike household, you have to manually spin the drum with the the clothing. <laughs> Because he's trying to conserve energy. Is he still out on his Pemi loop right now? No, I, I, I have no done? idea. Is he done? I think so. I would hope so. Does he need a rescue? Is he okay? <laughs> Do you want to go? Do you want to go get him? <laughs> yeah, no, we can't. We got to finish the, the, the uh, podcast. But okay. uh, this has been a lot of fun. Thank you so much for doing this because... I think I asked you like a thousand times. A thousand to do this. times. And moment of weakness on the river today, like I said, and here we go. So awesome. But so. I'm so proud of you and your podcast, and I can't wait to go to Reckless and have that awesome celebration. Yeah. And I love you, Schmoopy. <laughs> oh, God. Don't cut that. <laughs> we'll see you uh, next week. <laughs> you for listening if you enjoyed the show you can subscribe on apple podcasts spotify podbean youtube 
or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you want to learn more about the topics covered in today's show, please check out the show notes and safety information at slasherpodcast.com. That's S-L-A-S-R podcast.com. You can also follow the show on Facebook and Instagram. We hope you'll join us next week for another great show. Until then, on behalf of Mike and Stump, get out there and crush some mega peaks. Now covered in scratches, blisters, and bug bites, Chris Staff wanted to complete his most challenging day hike ever. Fish and game officers say the hiker from Florida activated an emergency beacon yesterday morning. He was hiking along the Appalachian Trail when the weather started to get worse. Officials say the snow was piled up to three feet in some spots and there was a wind chill of minus one degree. And there's three words to describe this race. Do we all know what they are? Lieutenant James Neeland of New Hampshire Fish and Game. Lieutenant, thanks for being with us today. Thanks for having me. What are some of the most common mistakes you see people make when they're heading out on the trails to hike here in New Hampshire? It seems to me the most common is being unprepared, and I think if they just simply visited uh, hikesafe.com and got a list of the 10 essential items and had those in their packs, they probably would have no need to ever call us at all. 